Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Helmet Theory Podcast. It's just Matt Hep here. Unfortunately, Matt Nichols couldn't be on this intro because I screwed up our microphone when we were recording this initial intro, so you're stuck with me. We've got an exciting guest today. You've probably heard of Michael Gunger before, musician, author, all that kind of stuff. We're going to listen to him talk about just a lot from his journey, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. So without further ado, Michael Gunger. You have such a unique and complex, or maybe it's not unique. I'm finding more and more people who they have very similar journeys as it pertains to Christianity and especially the American church, but uh, like finding their own way. It seems like a lot more people are doing that nowadays than yeah. sticking to the, to the, the cave yeah. that everyone was taught to, to live in. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I grew up a pastor's kid, Christian, um, sort of like in the charismatic evangelical world and played music and my beginning of my career was in like worship music and uh, my faith sort of unraveled through a bunch of time and questions and experiences that made me wonder if it was true and what was worth holding on to, what was worth letting go of. And that was a very long and painful process for me. And I didn't have any really people or even even media or like to really kind of like, I felt pretty alone in my process through all of that. I, it seemed like everything was only camps of either, it was like either the atheists or the evangelicals. I mean, it was just like these, right? and you have to pick a camp. And it's like, I don't fit any of these camps totally cleanly. I just kind of felt alone then. I was um, going to ask, did you feel pushed? out kind of or or what yeah sometimes but I, it was more like i was just aware that my questions and doubts weren't really welcome it's like while i was working at a mega church i did not believe in a young earth anymore but i knew it wasn't cool to say that so i just kind of like would put like subtle lyrics into the worship songs <laughs> or like I had this song called Say So. It was at this megachurch. And the whole megachurch is based on like getting people to to pray a prayer at the end of an altar call. It's like pretty much the whole mission of what we were doing. And so I wrote this song and it says, what does it mean to be saved? Isn't it more than just a prayer to pray, more than just a way to heaven? And I played it and the pastor was like, yeah, this is fantastic. And I'm like, it's an angry song about you. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's funny that you mentioned that because when I look back at, um, you know, there's certain times where Jesus was speaking to people and he would say something so blatantly, like either purposefully misleading or blatantly at them. And it was just kind of the same response. They just sort of missed it. Yeah. But then if you, cause if you put it to a nice enough beat, you put another like, and maybe Jesus wasn't putting it to beats, but if you, uh, if, that's the funny thing I've learned about music is that you can sing it. And if you have enough, like if you get people to laugh or you get people to sing or you get people just kind of like, ah, oh, and they, they hear it like they do. And I put some other scripture in the song, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. So it's like, well, it must be good. Must be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at the church yeah, that, it, that we grew up at, we would, we would have had to, before anybody ever sang one of your songs, they probably would have had to be a member of our church. Number one. But if they weren't, or, or if they were allowed to sing, whatever, we would have had to know that the person that wrote the song was doctrinally sound. Yeah. 
and baptized and all yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Did they care about the publisher of the paper of the hymnal? If right. Everybody Yeah. yeah. Well, they didn't uh, because was it, it was or, it was it was published by our little Baptist denomination, so it was. Uh, yeah, but did they know the, the the doctrinal stance of the paper printer itself? <laughs> yeah, exactly. The guy who um, took the trash out at the factory. yeah yeah. You're gonna find some heretics somewhere in the line uh, of literally everything you do. <laughs> it's a funny like idea that we could have this chain of humans who all agree with everything that we're doing. Um, that's like, you just have to be an absolute cult. There's like two of you. Um, and even then you're going to have <laughs> disagreements, but yeah, so I, I went through that world and become interestingly because I learned how to do that in church. And maybe that was like cowardice that I, I kind of like passive aggressively would share my thoughts <laughs> through music rather than like speaking it. I knew and I was there to like love God and serve God and serve people. But yeah, I had all these like issues with how it was going about. So I'd kind of throw stuff into the music and like, but through that whole process, a lot of internal, you know, confidence in what we were doing was eroding. And then in 2010, I was almost, I was like, is God even real? And I was having a real crisis with that. Anyway, long, long story, but over the last, then from then until now, I've been on a very, uh, I wouldn't even call it. The, it's like from 2010 to 2016 was another kind of ch- big chapter where I didn't have any confidence in Christianity or God or anything, but I was kind of getting into a mystical zone where I was like, I would put all words in quotes basically. And like, I don't know what any of this means, but I was more experience based. And then in 2016, I had a radical sort of spiritual awakening that changed my life more than anything ever. So since then, I wrote the book and now I'm coming out with my first album um, that's sort of in a different zone. And it's not it's not Christian-centric, but I'm finally in a place where I'm not writing out of some sort of crisis. It's funny, I, we had somebody premiere this first video that I put out for my new artist named Weiwu. And the editor put in the title, like titled it, New Weiwu Single, began as a faith crisis and I'm like what the the hell I can't escape it I'm just the faith crisis guy it's the it's the first thing I've made that has zero faith crisis about it whatsoever (laughs) it's still like uh just that's that's my brand I guess (laughs) this faith crisis (laughs) I think I remember you describing that the the big transition or the big revelation in 2016 came from a drug-induced thing. Is that correct or no? Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, it was, uh, the experience that I had was during a shamanic mushroom journey. Yes. And, okay, great, great. So, well, yeah, I, was, I wasn't too afraid, even if it wasn't, but. Okay. <laughs> this, is the, this is the guy who pissed off Christian music, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, but but I know that people, I mean, even people that are cool with psychedelics on some level will still be like, okay, you had a, a revelation on psychedelics. Cool, I get it. And I can totally hear that. And I've got lots of friends that have done psychedelics and learned things, you know, and it's. I, I can hear it, how it sounds, and it's not even, 
it's not like I saw some vision and like believe that was true or it's I saw how I was seeing like because the mechanism of my seeing shifted so drastically during the mushroom trip it's like seeing saw itself in a way so it's not like I trusted that new perspective from mushrooms like I'm like oh no this is how it is I'm seeing through mushrooms it's the the drastic shift of perspective allowed me to understand perspective in a new way um that was not I couldn't shake it like even coming down and being sober was like oh I see that I'm seeing I could have said it I could have talked about it theoretically before but i've the the experience of oh all my questions and deconstruction or um trying to figure out the world um or god or mystery it's it's all part of this like physical um constriction of an ego of like this body trying to be special and trying to be safe and loved and wanting his dad to be proud of him and his friends to like him and people to like his music. And so understanding reality makes him more special. So seeing that kind of connection, then after that, anytime the questions would come up, I'm like, ooh, I got to figure this out. It, I had seen too clearly where it was coming from to know to, to believe the lie that it was just this objective. I'm just looking for the truth. No, I'm, tr- I'm constricting my ego is afraid that it's not special, that it's going to die. That, that's really interesting to me, Michael, because there are, are so many people that I've met personally that have done every drug in the book are always on psychedelics and you meet them and they talk really like woo woo mm-hmm. weird stuff like that. But when I hear you and I hear everything that you have out, I'm like, holy crap, like this dude's normal. And he's really deep. You're a really deep thinker from my gatherings. I relate to that on a, on a spiritual level, on a mental level, on so many different areas of my life. I've never tried any psychedelics, but when I hear someone like yourself who went on a journey, who were willing to go to a shaman ritual and, partake and come out of it enlightened if you will it's neat mm. to me thank you i mean th- thank you for there was compliments in there i'm saying thank you yeah <laughs> basically you're not crazy and you, you, yeah you've done all kinds of that's cool yeah you have our approval man yeah <laughs> affirmation i was thinking the other day for myself i was thinking you know deconstruction didn't just happen for me when i when i started thinking through big things I've always been someone who pushed the envelope, so to speak, or, or asked the questions. And I've, you know, I've felt that pushback my whole life on even the little things. Where'd that start? What are the questions you were having or wrestling with and kind of how did that play out? Yeah. I remember the first kind of, Oh shit. When I first like realized that something was, or I, I kind of felt that pit in my stomach, like, uh Oh, the ground that I'm standing on isn't quite as secure as I thought it was, uh, was in, I think it was like freshman in high school. And, uh, the teacher, I had this respect for this teacher named Mr. Martin. And he did this whole, I wrote about it in my first book. It's a fun story, but it's like, uh, he had this, had this whole setup of 
this book that he had been setting up for the year that he was gonna was gonna change our lives. It was called the New World Order. And long story short, like it ended up being a crazy like conspiracy theory book. And he was testing us basically to see if we would think for ourselves. And it kind of took my dad questioning it for me to question it for myself, putting that in air quotes here. Cause I was the, I went back to school that next day and I was the leader of the charge of like, no, Mr. Martin, that book was bull crap. That it's, you can't prove it. But, and I had all this fire and then I realized like I'm thinking for myself because my dad questioned it first. So am I really thinking for myself? And if Mr. Martin, I was trusted Mr. Martin so blindly. Am I trusting my dad so blindly? And it just was like this, like this, like erosion of trust that other people know what they're talking about. (laughs) And, and then, so that just kind of started me thinking like, what am I just taking for granted? I'm not actually thinking through, why do I believe any of this? I didn't start, I didn't start by like questioning God or anything. It started with like the mark of the beast actually was the first question that I had was like, why would, like, what sense does this make that all this, because scripturally I was taught that, you know, the New Testament had moved us back inside to our hearts and our faith is what mattered. And it wasn't about the external things anymore. The law didn't apply anymore. But then at the end, it goes back to being about external things, like whether we get this mark on our hand or not. And then the thought came like, maybe that's a metaphor, like your hand and your head, like your actions and your thoughts. I was like, and that was a scary thought to read the Bible metaphorically. And that wasn't acceptable in my community. So I kind of like became a secret metaphor believer in, <laughs> uh, at that point. And then that just, that was the early, that was the first question that I can remember being like, I think my world is wrong about this. So then you, you know, fast forward, you wind up, uh, having a career in music, which is centered around belief in a sense. I mean, you know, there's mm-hmm. Christians want to make sure, I mean, you, you can, you can express yourself artistically, but church people, they have a box and you better stay in it. And uh, yeah. you, st- you started veering out of the box, I guess. Is uh... <laughs> I did. And it's, it's been funny because it's like most of the time, by the time people realized I was veering out of the box, I had moved sar- so far beyond that box. So that was part of my like staying safe and knowing how to talk to people that I was in the church with. Like I knew that putting something in scriptural language, even if it was something against what they were doing, like, what do you think we're doing with these altar calls? What does this matter? If I couched that with, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, then it's like, oh yeah, this is not just about altar calls. We're supposed to also like, so I knew how to speak the language. So then sometimes it was almost like I'd get caught Like in, it'd be so far, like in 2014, there was an article that came out about me not believing in literal Genesis stuff. And I was like, this article should have been written 15 years ago. You know, what's funny. That was, that was one of the articles several years ago that I I remember, you know, seeing the, yo, Michael, Michael Gunger's lost. He's gone off the deep end, you know, whatever he doesn't think. And it was all Mm -hmm. kind of creation esque stuff. And I remember thinking, because I grew up in the same camp as you, Nichols and I both, you know, the earth is 5,000 years old. Yeah. And Adam and Eve talked to a snake and yeah. Granny Smith apple, the whole thing. <laughs> and so I remember seeing that and thinking, 
I'm supposed to agree with this, agree with this article. Michael Gunger is a heresy or is a heretic. He's, he's speaking heresy. But the whole time I was reading it, I was like, I, I honestly, deep down, don't really care about how old the earth is. <laughs> right. I just, I just don't. Right. I, yeah. I mean, I, I'm curious about it. Like, it'd be cool to know if it's 5,000 or 5 billion or whatever, yeah. if we could just put a hard number on it, you know, but to me, you weren't saying anything that was so radical and I don't know. I, it didn't really shake me too much, but, I, and I was, I was a little thrown off by the response that, I mean, the internet, uh, yeah, they got mad. They got a little mad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to say the least. Yeah. Cause I said something in an interview. I mean, to me, the whole ghost upon the earth record was about evolution. And I was like, <laughs> I mean, it was about the Bible sort, but I was, yeah, I, in my mind was framing it in more naturalistic terms and, and like calling attention to the mythic aspect of the Christian narrative. But a lot of people were like, oh, so you're like preaching literal creationism. I was like, what? I was like, no. And, but by that point, it was such a casual assumption that I thought everybody knew what I was talking about that I didn't couch it in safer language. So I was like, yeah, no, of course. The, no, I don't believe in like literal Genesis. <laughs> so it's just... <laughs> of course not. That's ridiculous. <laughs> and then they're like, oh my God. So what I'm, what I'm curious about too is from... from you, it seemed okay. I'm just going to go off of what I've heard from the liturgist. Okay, it seems to me that you've had a few other journeys and you've learned a lot more about religious or or ways of life. Can you kind of tell us a little bit about that? I, I know I'm super interested in that. Yeah. So I think what what I discovered in that in 2016 about myself was also very related to my theology and my view of the world and what I felt like I experienced, which is the the seamless oneness between God and the universe or myself and my surroundings. Like the seeing that there's no actual hard line that we can find anywhere in any of those concepts that then I started seeing that in the words of Jesus. I started seeing that in the words of Buddha. I started seeing that in Hinduism and Taoism and all the great traditions. I was like, there's a mystical component to all of them. And it's not, it's not, it's like we have different words and we have different metaphors and we have different traditions. And I'm not saying those differences are not important. I think they are. I think Christianity does some things really well that Hinduism doesn't do really well. And I think vice versa. Hinduism does some things well generally that Christianity doesn't do very well. And I'm not I'm not putting these things on as I'm not uh I'm not saying they're all equally true. What I'm saying is I can find a kernel of truth in all of them. Um, in my experience and what I'm hearing from them now. I said, well, how I hear Jesus now is so different than I used to. And it's funny now hearing the like Jesus saying like you, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And I used to be like, yep, they don't have any idea. (laughs) (laughs) And I had no idea what he was talking about. Um, And he would say it. I'm divine. You're the branches. May, May you and I be one. Like the father is one. And, him identifying as God and human, like calling us all into that. I, it's so clear to me now. Um, 
but it's not something that most people can or should or will hear um, or understand. And that's fine. But I, so when, when I call from these different traditions now and find the different practices, it's the one, it's the same esoteric core as you have different exoteric practices and all this stuff, but it's the same core, which to me is this, which that's what I named the book. It's just what is God is not some distant thing out there that is far from us. Um, but I think in all the traditions at the core, the people that are like either that were the founders of the religion or people that were like really the St. Francis's and the, and the Christ's and the, the people that like were way in, or <laughs> there was like powerful people inside of it that saw and saw that the, the ultimate nature of the faith is not something that you can speak or think. Uh, I have the Tao Te Ching sitting right here. The first phrase in it is the Tao that can be spoken is not the true Tao. And I think that's the mystery at the heart of all the religions, which is that you can't put any of this, the ultimate heart and nature of reality or God or the universe, whatever it is, or self is not speakable. It's not thinkable. It just is. And, and you can move into being that rather than just thinking about it, having it out here, trying to control it, rather just surrendering to being it. That's interesting. We were, we were talking uh, with uh, William Paul Young last week, whenever it was. And, uh, you know, obviously he wrote a book where God's a woman and, yeah. uh, you know, he took a little flag for that. But what I found is that we were talking, yeah, we were talking about just how people got so pissed off when it was like, God's an African-American woman. And it was like, well, yeah, but what, are you mad that he's not a white man? I mean, what? Yeah. <laughs> and it's so, does God have balls? Right. <laughs> No, it, is, it, really, it, it really is such an <laughs> odd thing that we, we do and that we say. Yeah. What it got me thinking about really is I've always talked about how big God is, and I've, I've preached the sermons and done the whole thing where you say all the, all the things, all the Christian things that sound good, and they're really sexy for that crowd, but they lack a lot of substance. And so I started thinking about my view of God and how – instead of me being made in his image and figuring that out, I had just basically made God in my image yeah. and then worshiped a greater version of myself. Totally. Yeah. You know, even Richard Rohr talks about the Holy spirit and God being in everything and things that, and he has biblical evidence to back it up, you know, and, but we as a Christian nation or whatever want to go, no, he's crazy. God's not in everything. I have all these people behind me to back me up, I'm going to stand in the crowd and we're going to, we're going to all agree the same way that you're wrong yeah. instead of being willing to go, wait, what if he's right? Yeah. I mean, I make the argument in my newer book that, that the true heresy for Christianity has nothing to do with God. It has to do with the self. Like we, you can have, we have our great saints that doubt the existence of God, mother Teresa or whoever say Teresa, People are like, I don't know if I believe in God. And it's like, that's okay. That's okay to think is because like we, we get that. Everybody kind of questions and we all have our different ideas of God. And we might not all say that. You might not say it's okay, but really it's kind of okay. People question that. What's not acceptable, the true taboo that we don't, that we're unconscious of 
is our view of ourselves. That doesn't even make the creed because it's not something we even dare to even think about questioning who are we? Who am I? That is saying, we say we believe in one God. We don't dare ask who are we? And we just have this, this plain, simple idea of like, well, it's me, it's Michael, this guy. But we don't think about what that means and what's, what's making Michael happen moment to moment. Every thought, every action is grounded in what? In spirit? And so it, who am I but that spirit? Who am I but like to separate the fruit from the branch is kind of a arbitrary separation. It's like they, they go together. The vine and the branches go together. And so like this being rooted in God as God is not something we're okay with talking about. As soon as it becomes like we, God, believe in one God, everybody goes, oh, no, 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 no. Because that's the actual taboo is questioning who we are. Everybody in the world that listens to this just went, oh, I, they just cringed a little bit when you said that. <laughs> They're not, it's already off, dude. The, the podcast has yeah, been shut down. Just put down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting because I've, I've, I've had thoughts about that, but there's some, there's some cognitive dissonance in me still yeah. that I'm still trying to get through with topics like that. And that's okay. I'm, I'm on a journey. I accept that. I'm not going to, uh, and I'll, I'll ask about this later, but I'm learning to sit in that uncomfortableness and just feel it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And see, because you get more and more comfortable with it. You get more and more like, okay, maybe, maybe I'm not crazy, you know, because yeah. our world teaches us, Oh, if it doesn't feel good, just, just push it away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I think it's the unspeakable thing. I think that's why I, I, I still, again, now Jesus has gotten a lot funnier to me. Like a lot of the things that he said, um, like people like who who are who are who who do people say I am? And people ask and like who do you think I am? <laughs> I think that's funny now, because uh, back in the day it was like who do you think this guy Jesus is? But he's not talking as this guy Jesus. He's talking, I think, as the Spirit, as the All, as as God. And so he's looking at God's self, going, who do you think you're talking to? Um, and that's kind of humorous. <laughs> yeah. When you put it that way, it is. No, that's, um, that's really, I've never heard anybody, uh, explain that verse like that. That's really interesting. Or like the, um, the blaspheme against the Holy spirit verse. I always thought that was like such a serious, scary verse. And now I think it was a joke. I literally think he was joking. I think it was like, you can't be forgiven if you blaspheme the Holy spirit. That's the only thing that you can, because who are you? How can you blaspheme your very self, the very essence and core, the deepest part of yourself? Who is there to blaspheme it? So no, you can't be forgiven from that because it's ridiculous. <laughs> okay. I'm tracking with you. <laughs> that verse has kept me up at night because I thought I took that blasphemy is like saying bad words about the Yeah, Holy saying bad words or saying yeah. the Lord's name in vain. <laughs> I dropped a hard GD one time when I was younger. And for days I was like, do I even need to continue my Christian walk or should I just 
give in to the desires of the flesh because I'm doomed. <laughs> you know, I'm 12 years old. I'm like smoking a pack of cigarettes with a 12 pack outside of the gas station. Oh my God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so you bring up, you bring up Jesus, obviously that's a, that's a great question or a great uh, topic, obviously, but your view on him has drastically shifted. Obviously coming from an evangelical charismatic, we, we probably have very similar views of Jesus I think everyone listening probably has a pretty good idea of who the Jesus is to mainstream Christianity. How do you understand Jesus? Or maybe I should ask, how do you understand Christ? Yeah. It's, it's fun now that I'm like, have said that my true heresy and the problem is how I view ourselves. I can, I can say like, I love the Orthodox teachings about Christ saying Christ is fully man and fully God absolutely beautiful 100% agree saying that god is trinity and that there is dynamic movement and dance within the godhead yes all of it all of it's true <laughs> the, the the missing part is who are we and so to say like i don't see saying he's fully christ fully man and fully god yeah so are you <laughs> that's i just think he saw it and I think we killed them for seeing it uh, because it's, it's the thing that we can't, our civilization cannot continue to operate as it does if we see that. If we see that we are, that the, it's not just that care for the least of these. He didn't, when he says like, you do this for the least of these, you do this for me. It's not just like a poem or like, it's not just a, a nice pithy thing to say. It, he's like, literally, you're doing this to me. You're doing it to yourself. You're like, when you hurt the people that are the most vulnerable, you're only, you're hurting your very self. You're hurting your deepest self because we're all connected. We're all in this same tree, the same ocean. We're all waves in this ocean. And, um, and when you see that like that, you can't, our society can't continue to be like it is with building empires on top of slaves backs. You can't do that when you realize that's your own back. So the power structures are inherently threatened by seeing who we actually are. So we have to hide our head in the sand to keep going like we are. So, so a message like this is extremely taboo. And, uh, and it feels like, it feels like we're, we're starting off. Even my question, we're starting off at the wrong place where I'm going, Hey, Michael, so how do you view Jesus now? And you're going, no, Jesus is still just as good and awesome. Yeah. It's, it's me that needed the perspective shift. Totally. Well, I think too, something to note here that, Basically, when you don't take the Bible literally, there's so much more beauty in it. Mm -hmm. And there's so much more just, you know, mysticism is kind of a, a taboo word, but that's the only word that comes to mind. There's so much beauty and glamour and, and just cool stuff that Jesus says to us. Yeah, there's a richness that we lose when we try to just make it a literal story. And it's literal stories are appropriate for some levels of development, you know, like for kids talking about Santa Claus as a personification of generosity doesn't, doesn't do it for them. Like, you know, it's not like saying that a guy's going to come give you presents because you've been good. That's more exciting and resonant for them than, than saying we've created this holiday to celebrate your inherent goodness uh, and to remember generosity, like that it doesn't do it, right? 
And for a lot of, for earlier stages of development, uh, we need literal Santa Clauses and guys in the sky that uh, love you and when you say your prayers will protect you. Like that's a nice, it's a nice thing for a certain stage of development. But I was going to say, I think, I think Hillary on one of y'all's episodes talked a little bit about that and said that up to a certain point, children, at least they really need that sense of certainty and it could Mm -hmm. actually harm them. But then once they get to that level where they're asking the questions, we can sort of allow that, that, shift and that evolution to take place in their minds yeah but and it's just it's the weird mechanism of the control the way i see it is like the power and the control of religious powers that be that make some things very taboo to question so that in this the very natural development where we're going oh maybe the easter bunny and santa claus and stuff maybe those aren't just like literal we stop that line of thinking with religion when that would be very natural for, for, at that same time to be like, Ch- kids, yeah, all this stuff that would be Santa Claus, Easter Bunny, the Bi- you know, these stories in the Bible, it's all, there's more to it than it's just not just about a literal story. And then you can like, there's so much more to glean once you can start understanding metaphor and start uh, interpreting like how the Jewish people will, Jewish rabbis will wrestle over a text for their whole lives and like argue and about it. And by doing that, they get more and more and more out of it. Um, we lose that tradition or that sort of depth that the traditions and practices and scriptures can offer us. I think when we reduce our faith to like a set of concrete thoughts that have already been established that we just accept or don't accept. Yeah. So Michael, I, I had, I listened to your most, to the liturgist, the most recent episode on grief mm-hmm. um, and grieving. And it was really good for me. My dad passed about three years ago. And it's still very fresh, but not in a grieving way. And I'll kind of, let me just describe thoughts when I was listening to the, to the episode on grief. And I just want to know what you think about it. So I started thinking about whenever I was grieving my dad, I didn't really have any regrets. I didn't really have any um, major things just to like that, that hurt. Um, But it was just the loss of my dad. Right. So something that losing him did for me was I, I began to sit in that grief mm. almost in a way of preserving who he was. So in my deconstruction, my dad passing was the mark of a huge proje- trajectory for just being okay way more than I ever was before for the simple reason of when my dad passed, I learned how to sit in uncomfortable feelings mm-hmm. and uncomfortable thought in uncomfortable thoughts. And that just, that really prepared me to, to kind of jump in the darkest cave in my mind and feel my way through it. If that makes sense. So yeah. my, my understanding of you is that you're very internal and maybe I'm wrong. So if I'm wrong, that's okay too but I, I feel like you're a very deep thinker. You, you're very in touch with your feelings and emotions. And whenever I heard that, I was like, dude, I have to ask Michael about what he thinks about that on grieving and sitting in our emotions. Yeah. One thing that I've learned from Hillary, I've learned just a lot about emotions and, and Mike has some of this stuff in his new book, but talking about like how emotions, every emotion that you experience has an arc it's not an infinite 
experience, right? It's a temporary. So there's like, there's an arc to it. It, it, There's a rise to it. And eventually if you fully let it experience, be experienced, it flattens out and then it comes down. And so often what we do is use, use things to cut off that emotion before it has its full chance to go through its whole life cycle. So we feel the sadness ramping up and we're like, oh, I don't like this. So what am I going to cut this off with? Let's get some ice cream. <laughs> Let's watch some porn. Let's do what something just to like get my mind off of what's happening of this emotion and sitting with it, fully experiencing an emotion is just really uncomfortable uh, for a lot of people, especially when we've been trained by our society and our parents and our religions that certain emotions and certain feelings shouldn't be experienced to their fullest degree. So like we feel shame that we're feeling that angry or that sad or that sexually aroused or that whatever. There's like this shame that we feel like we should be feeling something other than we're feeling. And so we use these other things to kind of like shut that down. But then all that does is like transform that. um, It just kind of represses that emotion and that turns into other things. That turns into anxiety and that turns into like this basic sort of guilt or shame kind of like feeling or and we don't even really know what's going on. And then it comes out in other ways and all of a sudden we're at work and we blow up at a coworker without knowing why. And we think, well, I'm just like, I don't know, I'm crabby, I'm angry today. We don't realize that we didn't let that that arc of sadness and grief or whatever Fully, so it just turns into like unprocessed energy in your body and it turns into like unconscious, unprocessed stuff. Um, so yeah, as much as people can, as much as you're able to sit with and fully experience and fully watch and listen to an emotion, because when that actually goes through the arc, when that sadness or any part of that grief or any part of that emotion that you experience fully is processed and experienced, it, there's usually a lesson. There's usually something that your body's experiencing it because it has something to say. It has something that it's it's wanting or something that it wants you to see or um and so fully being able to process it is is not only allows that emotion to kind of clear and move through you and 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 let your body experience what it wants to experience, but there's there's also a lot to learn in in actually paying attention to your emotions. Well, so what I learned in the parallel there is in my deconstruction I learned to sit with doubt yeah, and feel that out. Um, sit with questions that I've been told my entire life. Hey, you can't ask those questions here at the church. You can't ask those, those type of things. And so that's the reason I ask you about that is because I feel like you've done a lot of sitting yeah, in thoughts and wonder and space and whatever you want to call yeah. it. And despair and anger. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. I think you're on to something, Nichols, because I think that there's kind of a principle here that I'm picking up on anyway. And I don't know if it's, I think honestly, it's just that being present with any given emotion or state of mind or whatever. So what you experienced to the grief uh, when your dad passed away, sitting in that, but also going through doubt, sitting with that. But, you know, there's something in each of us, maybe individually because we're all wired so differently somewhere deep in us we start to reject certain things be that based on like wounds or whatever it is and so i mean i was even thinking there's people who reject 
things like joy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't even know how to sit in joy. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's something really big about this idea of just being present with that thing that internally you may, your natural disposition might be to reject it. Or actually it's probably not a natural disposition, but <laughs> a learned disposition. Yeah. yeah. That's pretty much the the gist of it, man. You, you helped. I don't know. We could, I could, I feel like I could ask you all kinds of questions, Michael, but why don't you tell some people about what you have going on book podcasts, whatever, where people can find you. Yeah. Uh, the new project that I'm excited about that I'm kind of pushing people towards is my new album, which is Weiwoo, W-E-I-W-U is my the artist's name that I'm putting that out with. And the album is called Are You Perfect Yet? And I uh, just released my first single this week. I don't know when this is airing, but I'm going to do a dance party next week uh, online with people uh, to dance through the record, even though the record's not going to be out yet until June. Um, but I don't know, this record is a different, like, it's all the stuff, all the thoughts that I've been thinking and writing about and talking about on the podcasts and stuff for years now. But I feel like it's more effective in a way through music. And I'd made the whole record very intentionally. Uh, and it was a spiritual process for me. Like I, I didn't want to record anything from a place of, of striving or ego or like trying to do something. So I, if I was ever in the state of like trying, I would just stop and delete what I just did. And until I was like in a flow state, then I would keep it. Um, so the whole record was made like in this kind of very present flow state. And I feel like you can feel the energy of that. Um, so I'm pretty happy with it. So where do we find that if we want to join the dance party? Um, I put, I put a link up on my Instagram, Michael Gunger or Twitter, Michael Gunger. Uh, there's a Facebook that I started for Weiwoo, so it's Weiwoo Music. I'm not sure if I'm going to start extra Instagrams and stuff for Weiwoo. I kind of don't want to have a bunch of more <laughs> Instagrams to keep up with. Uh, so you can just go to my own personal Michael Gunger things to find those links. Very cool. Well, man, thanks for being with us today. Um, it's funny, some of the stuff we talked about, and I feel like this uh, conversation, it was a bit abstract. It kind of took its... Mm-hmm different way i'm being handsy today i don't know what my yeah, you are is. No, I'm just, <laughs> i kept noticing i'm like oh it's the mega church pastor coming out of me i must have watched the stephen furtick video it's good it makes me. you it makes you expressive looking it's fine that's yeah but i was thinking about how abstract this kind of conversation was and i i know there's gonna people listen to this and they're gonna go oh i wanted to know what he believes about this yeah. this 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 and we do long for that system so i kind of love how wonky and abstract this conversation felt because I don't want people to leave here thinking that to understand Michael Gunger or God or helmet theory podcast is to understand systems and frameworks. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Cause I'll just, at this point I'm like, yeah, sure. It's true. What do you, if you're asking, do you believe in? Yeah, sure. That's true. It's, <laughs> that's kind of a Ramdas thing. It's just like, yeah, it's all true from where you're looking. And there's something true about it, I'm sure, from how you're asking, what you're experiencing. But even when you start talking about, you know, some of the controversial, like hell or something, and it's like, do you believe in hell? So do I believe, like, I think there's, I think the way that Jesus talked about hell or whatever, it's funny that I'm just going to hell, you didn't even ask about it. Um, <laughs> it's, it's but, okay. It's but okay. it's like, you, there's plenty to learn and glean 
And if you get what he's actually saying at the end to me, which is like, be one with me, then then a question like, do you believe in hell? Is like, what are you what are you ta- what are you talking about? Does God burn himself for all of eternity? If that's what you're asking me, no, I don't assume that God does that. So that's pretty crazy. But <laughs> there's this the idea that God could be separated from God for eternity. No, I don't think that's true. But do I think hell? Um, is a good metaphor for a lot of ways that we act in the world. Yeah, I do. So anything is like, do you believe like, yeah, what do you, but where are you talking about it from? And what, but I affirm that all the conversations are valid and every religious tradition, including Christianity has some beautiful wisdom in it. So I'm much more affirming a lot about what I see in people's beliefs and practices than I'm, I'm not in that stage of like trying to tear their stuff apart anymore. Sure. I think there's something really freeing about that and, uh, and humbling, honestly, the more that I become just open to hearing and listening and sharing experiences, I find that I have a lot more grace toward people, a lot more love toward people. And the relationship is not built on an agenda or a belief system. It's based on a relationship and there's something really cool about that. So anyway, I don't want to get us on another tangent here, but man, um, Dude, we, we've, uh, we've admired a lot of your stuff for a long time. So we just really appreciate the content you've put out and, uh, we're looking forward to hearing this music. And I think the conversation that you and and your people are having is really important. And so thanks for being a part of it, uh, on this end. So thank you so I'm much. I'm sad you're not, not in the mega church anymore, man. Well, who knows? Give me a couple <laughs> I'm totally. Maybe, who knows where... <laughs> <laughs> hey, Michael, thank thanks you again. For, yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks. You know what's funny? Every time we have a guest on, the guest leaves, and then you and I are like, oh, man, that was, and we literally say the same thing. And it's not to be repetitive or because we don't have other words to say. It genuinely takes me like a second when we get done with our guests to kind of go, I'm processing it all. It's kind of weird. I actually have a lot to say about it. I think that Michael Gunger is the best possible outcome of believing in humanity, not believing that the Bible is literal and literally exploring anything out there. Yeah. Because in my opinion, who Michael Gunger is, he's an incredible dude. He's super nice. He's loving. He's spiritual. He's uh, expressionate of his feelings. He's inclusive. He is all sorts of things and has even he has dived into or dove in whatever the word is. <laughs> it's actually, I think it actually is dived. I think dived is past tense. Okay. I may be wrong on that, but there's a few words that sound like they wouldn't be past tense like that. And, and they are, <laughs> that's not what this he podcast dived, is about. But. He, he dove into all kinds of different options. He had an experience with a shaman ritual where he took mushrooms and had a uber spiritual enlightening moment and for for you listeners that aren't familiar with what i'm talking about go listen to liturgist it's uh it's incredible it's done a lot for me you kind of get to see a lot more of who michael is in that Uh, they have weekly meditations that you can get into if you want um things like that lost a lot of people by saying weekly meditations they were like oh i'm out well, I'm not talking about woo-woo, freaky-deaky meditations. I'm just talking about like no, I know. A, a time, a weekly time that you can meditate, be quiet. 
I've actually been, uh, I've actually been, except for this week, I didn't as much, but I actually have been practicing meditation. Uh, I've, so I've been doing the Wim Hof breathing stuff. And while I'm doing it, I I wouldn't say I'm in prayer per, per se. Like it's, it's not the way I used to, where it's like, dear God or Hey God or whatever. And then you go through your list of demands yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But it really is like the other day I was doing uh, I was doing uh, my breath work and I usually do about 10 to 20 minutes when I was doing it. I was just thinking about, you know, oxygen going in, oxygen going out, this whole cycle that's happening. And I was trying to be really present, which for my brain is, is difficult. But while I was thinking about, or while I was doing it, I was thinking about uh, God I was thinking about the essence of God. I was thinking about who God is and what God is and who I am to God. I, that may sound weird. I don't, to me, it doesn't sound weird. I think I'm embracing this weird stuff that I'm kind of becoming, but it was awesome. It, I, did I have, here's what's, here's what's crazy. I think the misconception is that understanding comes with the ability to articulate you, your understanding. And so there was a deeper understanding. So I'm going, I'm asking these questions. Who is God? Who am I? What is God? These types of things. When I got done with my meditation breath work, I didn't go, here's the answer. It's tweet. It's a tweetable answer. It was a, you know, the Bible says a piece that passes all understanding. And it felt like that. It was like, can articulate what just happened in me? No, not probably not. But, but can I do, but do I understand it? Yes. Yes, I can. And I do. So, yeah, I thought it was a great interview. It's hard, too, because some people are going to remember Michael Gunger as the guy that went off the rocker in the Christian music industry. Some people may not have listened to his music or heard him. Other people may listen to this interview and they may think that uh, he just kind of sounds wonky. He said something about doing mushrooms and this and that. And and uh, they may write him off immediately. I guess my challenge for anybody that is listening to this is I mean, I think you would agree with this too. We're going to have guests on here that are probably way out there in terms of how we, you and I grew up thinking. And there's something, it was really hard for me at first when I started listening to a lot of these guys' podcasts or reading their books or anything uh, over the last several years, these, these things they were saying were hard for me to grasp. And now it's like you said, sitting in it. And so even when I feel that stuff, it doesn't bother me. I don't feel, I don't feel the need to turn it off or even reject it. I just let it be. Here's the thing. I'm okay with people turning off certain episodes. If they don't like something, turn it off. That's fine. But here's the challenge. Listen to stuff that challenges you, makes you feel uncomfortable, makes you think differently. Michael has literally taken, it's it's almost like he went on this walk of, all right, I'm just going to go see what all these things are about because I'm unsure of what I've been taught my entire life. Doesn't that sound familiar? So he went on a journey to discover from what I've listened to that that's my summary of, of, of what he's done. But I think that he's discovered a lot and he's a better man for it today. I would venture to guess he loves his wife better. He loves his kids better. And there's a lot of people that are hearing me say that and go, well, how you can't love your wife and kids without the love of Jesus. Well, I would challenge that a little bit because from what Michael has said, and he's not God, he's not, you know, he, he, the thing for me is it's okay. It's okay for Michael to be Michael. It's okay for you to be you, Hep. It's okay for me to be me. And sitting in doubt and sitting in uncomfortable feelings and thoughts 
it's probably going to be good for you. At least you'll come out of it going, no, what I've been doubting, I should keep doubting. Or I, that's, that's a hard no. Yeah. Or you can sit through doubt and go, you know what? I don't know why I've, I've been a certain way my entire life. It seems like a silly notion to reject doubt because when doubt happens, just to, to put, sweep it under the rug, obviously that doesn't cure you of your doubt. All you're doing is ignoring that, that thing that's in you. Why not allow yourself to experience that doubt? Why not seek and search and, you know, research and why not do those things? I mean, here's because only one of two things can happen. You'll reinforce the thing that you were doubting or you'll change the thing that you once held dearly. And that doubt would have moved you forward or, Dude, my dad used to tell me something, and I just thought of it, but he used to tell me something. This isn't the episode about your dad, so. I know. I'm kidding, dude. Holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) No, seriously, I want to hear it. Drama Rogerism on us. He used to say, son, if you go looking for stuff, you'll find it. In in his context, what he meant is you go looking for trouble, you're going to find trouble. But in the context of me and my life moving forward, I've actually had the thought like if I if I walk through whatever I am walking through asking questions I'm going to find answers. The scary part is you don't know what the answers are going to be. Yeah. Because they may be different than what what you've been told or taught or whatever. Well, I'll be honest, that's the biggest reason that I have stayed in, in so many mindsets or perspectives or relationships even. I mean, it's because for me, there some. It's an illusion that there is more comfort in the thing that that is normal to you. It's an well, illusion. You're safe. you're safe, quote unquote. The illusion yeah, of safety. You, yeah, you have the illusion of safety. I, I just I don't buy into it anymore. Once I uh, once I realized that those feelings and those thoughts weren't going to go away, and that actually the things that were stirring those feelings and thoughts weren't things that made me a rebel or a black sheep or a bad person or a heretic. They were actually just me examining my faith. Anyway, I don't know where we're at on time. I don't, I don't mean to keep rambling. 